Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week, we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. To find studies of other books of the Bible from our archive, you can search our sermon library at thevillagechapel.com resources. We pray these studies will help you to think biblically in all categories of life so that we all might be formed more into the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's Pastor Jim. It seems to me that over and over again, Mark is trying to get us to think about two questions. Who is Jesus? And how should we respond to Jesus? And one of the ways he does that is to preserve for us a record of what Jesus did and what Jesus said. And so we get works and words of Jesus. And in Mark's gospel, probably a little bit greater emphasis on the works of Jesus. Here in Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43, the end of the chapter here, Jesus' encounter with two different individuals uh, really helps us answer the question, who is Jesus and how should we respond to Jesus? It's a remarkable account. And it almost, with the, with the one uh, person he encounters is, is, is kind of like the donut hole, and the other one is the storyline that's around it. I mean, now, just watch how this is laid out. I think you'll really appreciate Mark's gift for recording these events and arranging these events to tell these events in a way that you and I can really encounter Jesus and ask and hopefully answer those questions. When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the sea. I'll remind you that in our previous episode, we had seen that Jesus had gone over to the eastern or southern shoreline where the Decapolis region is, the 10 Greek cities. There he encountered and healed a man who had been possessed by uh, many demons called Legion. And uh, it was quite a story. And if I, if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to do so. Once again, you find Jesus' encounter with someone, uh, and in that case, someone from Gentile territory. Uh, you find there some amazing information about who Jesus is and uh, exactly how he responds to the the folk that encounter him. So here, Jesus is back, probably in Capernaum or thereabouts, back on the other side, we're told. And one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, my little daughter is dying, come and lay your hands on her so that she can get well and live. So this is interesting because here's someone who's a synagogue official, and heretofore, the religious leaders have not really been people that had much respect for Jesus. As a matter of fact, we've been told already that they've been plotting with the Herodians to actually do away with Jesus. But man, desperation can sometimes turn us inside out, and it does for this father who happens to be, who happens to have a daughter who's very sick and is dying, and he's desperate. And so he comes before Jesus and in front of everybody else, uh, because it, it, it says large crowds were gathered around him as he was by the sea, this synagogue official publicly drops down in front of Jesus, begging for Jesus to come and help his little daughter. So verse 24 says, Jesus went with him. 
and a large crowd was following and pressing against him. And so you can kind of see they move from the shoreline where it's kind of open and they're moving now up into the streets of Capernaum. And it's it's like a it's like a bicycle race where then where the roads get narrow all of a sudden and 150 riders have to squeeze into kind of a bottleneck area there. And these crowds were following and pressing in against Jesus. And now enters the picture another person who has a lot of need. And this person remains nameless in contrast to Jairus, the synagogue official. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything um, she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. And so here's someone who um, on their own had done everything they could to uh, remedy a, a chronic illness, a chronic situation that she had of internal bleeding. And 12 years, by the way, which is fascinating to me because I believe Jarius's daughter is 12 years old. And so she had, this lady had uh, spent everything she had and her condition had only become worse. She turned to every kind of human resource available to her, every kind of medical professional at that time with what they knew. And she just couldn't get any help. She became even worse. Having heard about Jesus, verse 27 says, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. So she's desperate. She's literally plowing her way through the crowd. Now, she would have been considered unclean, and anyone that got near her or touched her in any way would have been unclean and unable, therefore, to go um, to present themselves for worship. Uh, They would have been ceremonially unclean. They would have had to go wash themselves and wait a certain number of days before they could be clean and made clean. She's living with this for 12 years. She's probably been run out of her own home in her own village in her own town. Nobody uh, uh, nobody wanted to be near her or touch her. And she is desperate. And she just says, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, right? I could be made well. Verse 29, instantly, her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. I can't imagine what that must have been like for her. I mean, day in and day out, this blood flow and uh, just walking around constantly uh, with, with, with filthy rags and, and a visible evidence of her chronic illness uh, that divided her not only from everyone else, but even from herself. She probably hated her own body. Um, and yet here she is, and she hears about this carpenter turned rabbi turned healer, how the blind could see and the lame could walk, and and she's she's just desperate for somebody to help her, and she spent everything she had, and maybe who knows she may have been wealthy and had lots of resources, but they were all gone now. And in desperation, she decides, I've got to fight through this crowd. I've got to elbow my way through this pressing crowd and get to G. And if I just fought, and then some kind of combination of superstition and faith, she just lunges for Jesus. And instantly, instantly, 
she sensed that her flow of blood ceased. And she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And Mark so <laughs> so beautifully uses one of his 40 immediately. <laughs> he, he says that, he uses that word 40 different times in these 16 chapters as English Bibles have it divided up. Immediately, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? And by the way, all of Jesus' questions are rhetorical. He, he knows who did this. Um, he just wants everyone else to know. And he wants her to know. And she's tried everything. She put her faith and confidence and resources and all of her money into all of these other things only to be let down over and over and over again. Ostracized from community, um, separated, outcast, um, outsider in every way. And as I said, probably even hated her own body. And the disciples, as he, everyone stops, Jesus says, who touched me? And a lot of people were touching him because the crowds were pressing in. And so he asked this question. The disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? And then verse 32, but he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. In other words, Jesus wanted the crowd to know who touched him. Jesus wanted this woman to know that she had touched him and that indeed she, Jesus is connecting all of these dots for everybody. And it's fascinating to me because we've already been given a little part of the story with Jairus' daughter. He has come to her and begged Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Come lay your hands on her so that she can be, he's desperate. His daughter isn't just doesn't just have a chronic illness. She's dying. And this woman has stopped everything because Jesus is following Jairus' daughter and presumably going with him to go heal Jairus' daughter. And yet this woman, you know, fights her way through the crowd and she makes her way to Jesus. And here's what happens. He says to her, as this woman comes and falls down before him and told him the whole truth, daughter. And I can hear Jairus going, wait a minute, what do you mean call her daughter? My daughter, my daughter is the one I came to get you to help. And Jesus says to this woman, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. And so it's it's one of those moments you could just, it was there a hush in the, it had to be a hush in the crowd. Uh, Jairus, a publicly respected you know, a dignified leader of the people at the synagogue there. And who's this woman, that, this outcast, this mar marginalized person, this person filled with shame and guilt over being ceremonially unclean, uh, filled with frustration after having spent everything she had and uh, all for naught. And so she, Jesus calls her daughter. It's the first time he uses that word, by the way. Well, while he was still speaking to her, verse 35 says, people came from the synagogue leader's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why bother the teacher anymore? Just even the way they deliver this, the way Mark records it, just seems so callous to me. Um, and I, 
I'm sure he's summarizing. I'm sure we're just supposed to get the gist. Um, but they're they're bringing the sad news that it's over and there's no more hope is what they're essentially saying. And of course, we all know different, don't we? Well, when Jesus overheard uh, what was said, he told the synagogue leader, don't be afraid, only believe. And once again, we see the opposite of fear. Um, is Jesus calling us to believe and trust in him? He did not let anyone accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. This, is, these, this, three, this little group of three of the 12, of the 70, of the 120, etc., uh, this little group of three has uh, uh, some real amazing experiences with Jesus. Uh, here on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Garden of Gethsemane, these three, it seems, uh, are privy to some of the most uh, beautiful, intimate, and powerful uh, events in Jesus' life. So Jesus didn't let anyone else accompany him except Peter, James, and John, James's brother. They came to the leader's house, Jairus' house, and he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. See, the professional mourners, which they had in that, in that time, during that time, had already come in. They'd probably already been booked because the little girl was dying. And at the last minute, Jairus has swallowed his pride and run off to find the carpenter turned rabbi turned preacher that all of the other religious leaders hated and we're seeking to destroy. And he, a religious leader, a synagogue official, decided, I don't care what they think. I love my daughter. I gotta get to Jesus. It's my last ditch effort. I gotta do it. And so the professional mourners are already there. They're wailing loudly. Jesus went in, it says in verse 39, and said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but asleep. And I love that about the New Testament. It always refers to uh, death as sleep, um, as if someone could be awakened. And in this case, most of you know what's about to happen. Uh, verse 40, all of the folk who are there as professional mourners, they laughed at Jesus, but he put them all outside. <laughs> Please don't let Jesus put you outside, um, whatever you do. Uh, you can doubt, you can have questions. Let's ask the questions. Jesus isn't afraid of questions, uh, but he'll not be mocked. And so they laughed at him. He put them out. He took the child's father, the mother, and those who were with him, that's Peter, James, and John, and entered the place where the child was. So into the room where the little girl's dead body lay. And by the way, they knew what dead meant way better than we do. Most of us are far removed from physical death. Um, these folk, all of these folk, the common person, uh, all had firsthand experience with a dead, physically dead body. Jesus took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which is translated little girl, I say to you, get up. And here comes Mark's second immediately in this pericope. Immediately. The girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old, Mark tells us. Remember how old or how long had the woman back in, this, in the town, suffered with the flow of blood, the chronic discharge of blood. 12 years, the one Jesus called daughter. And now here, Jairus' daughter, 12 years old. 
At this they were utterly astounded, and so would we have been. Then he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this and told them to give her something to eat. And that part always makes me chuckle a little because I'm in good grief uh, in the town. Everybody knows Jairus. Um, Everybody knows his daughter was sick. Uh, A lot of folk had already been assembled, professionals, because the daughter had died. A bunch of, uh, a gaggle of Jairus's neighbors, friends, relatives, whatever, had run into the town to tell to tell Jairus, don't bother the teacher, and she's dead. And so Jesus, even saying this, is giving them strict orders, no one should know about this, and told them to give her something to eat. It's kind of like he raises her from the dead, and he says, don't tell anybody, and, and we know that's, that's going to get out. And then, by the way, um, could you all get her something to eat? Because if you don't feed her, she's going to die again. And uh, this is just such a fascinating passage. I just, I just love all of it. It reminds us again. Let's get to, back to the, Mark's two questions. Who is Jesus? I mean, who do you see here? You know, who is he? Who is this person? Uh, the disciples on the stormy sea, they asked the question, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Uh, and, and when they got to the other side and there was that demon-possessed man, who is this that even the devils have to obey him? And, um, and so here in this particular setting, who is Jesus? I imagine Jarius, the synagogue official, may have become one of the first of the religious leaders to say, I don't know everything. I can't answer that question in full, but here's what I know. My daughter... She once was dead, but now is alive. And uh, I, I have the feeling when we all get home, we'll be able to talk with Jairus and his daughter uh, and some of those musicians who were there because they saw, they knew, where, what, they were in the context of death. They were at a funeral home in their view. And how in the world did that little girl come back to life? Well, how should we respond to Jesus is the second question. And I think it's, it's still really, really important for us to ask. Remember the miracles of Jesus. Arouse curiosity, display his power and authority, reveal his compassion. He loved these people, even the ones that didn't like him, didn't, even the ones that hated him. He loved them. That's why he came to the earth in the first place, because we sinners, all rebels, he came for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So his miracles arouse curiosity, display his power, reveal his compassion, affirm his identity. He's the son of God. If he really is the son of God, you would think he could do things like this. And then they inspire worship. And I, I love those, the, those last few verses, last two verses especially. At this, they were utterly astonished. <laughs> and uh, can your heart still be astonished? Are you still aware of all that God is doing, the way he's working in and through your life? Just a few points I'd like to highlight before I let you go today. First of all, uh, here we see two different scenarios, uh, two different very desperate kinds of people. Um, Jarius, desperate for his daughter's life, and then the unnamed woman, desperate for her own life. And in both cases, desperation leads these people to the Savior, to Jesus. And so that's, that's one of the things I really do appreciate about uh, these two stories. Um, they are both desperate people, and their desperation leads them to the kind of salvation that they ultimately uh, needed. 
So um, here we see it compels them. It moves them, if you will, to get to Jesus. Um, and that's what we need to do with our desperation as well, is take it to Jesus. Where are you at today? What in the world is a chronic issue for you that you need some help from the Savior? Or you have a loved one, you have a friend, you have a neighbor uh, who's desperate for some kind of help. Will you go on their behalf to Jesus? And why in the world, like Jarius, why would you let Jesus be the last one you go to? Let's make Jesus the first one we go to. Um, uh, I'm not saying don't go to doctor. I'm a firm believer in doctors. Uh, I think the Lord works through doctors all the time. And I'm really, really proud of the way the Lord has worked in and through um, some of the medical team at the Village Chapel and, and throughout the world, of course. But I agree with Philip Yancey that human beings do not readily admit desperation, but when they do, the kingdom of heaven draws near. So these miracles describe desperate people who had run out of resources. They describe desperate people with imperfect faith. Jairus is, he doesn't, he's, it's the last resort to go to Jesus. So that's imperfect faith. This woman with the issue of blood, the blood flow, she had tried everything else too. And yet turned to Jesus. And when she turned to Jesus, she's thinking, if I just touch the hem of his garment, it's kind of this touching the hem of his garment thing is, sort of as, like I say, a mixture of superstition and and faith. It's his garment. If I get to him, it's getting to Jesus. She knows that's important. Uh, But the hem of his garment is just thread. Um, And yet Jesus is generous with her. And so desperate people draw near to Jesus. Um, Desperate people, even with imperfect faith, draw near to Jesus. Lewis remi- C.S. Lewis reminds us, prayer is a request. The essence of a request, as distinct from compulsion, um, is that it may or may not be granted. And if an infinitely wise being listens to the requests of finite and foolish creatures, of course, he will sometimes grant and sometimes not grant their requests. These miracles also remind us that Christ is the answer to both our hope and life and our fear of death. And so I think, again, really important for us to know that God is ready and he is able um, to assume full responsibility for the life that is wholly yielded to him. So said Andrew Murray, and I agree with him 100%. How about you? Let's turn to the Lord now. Lord, thank you for your kindness, your openness to us, the way you receive us, yours not wagging fingers shaming us, but open arms receiving us, welcoming us, even with our imperfect faith, uh, even in spite of our desperation, whether it's for some chronic physical illness, and we just need you either to touch us physically and heal us, or Lord, grant us the faith, the courage, the hope to rise again today and to make today the next best day of our lives because we trust and hope in you, even in our suffering and through it. And in all of our cases, Lord, I pray that you'd bring us to that intersection where your greatest glory meets our highest need and our highest good. Um, We trust you. Um, We love you. We see you as all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, and kind. 
and we turn to you in faith believing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.